0: My name is Mary Millian. Today's scripture comes from John 16. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father? They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete.
1: Thank you, Mary. We're in this study on discipleship that we have spent the whole summer in, And we're sort of getting toward the end of it. And today we get to one of the most important needs of every disciple, every follower of Jesus. Let me just begin with a question. When was the last time you felt a true unfettered moment of joy? Or maybe a better question is, what is your level of joy? Um, Imagine uh, sort of inheriting a city. Um, The day comes and you got control of a city as the mayor. And by the way, this is one of the oldest cities in the world, but it's passed through a horrible time. It was under Soviet control. There were the wars of the Bokalans there, right, if you're familiar with them. Uh, An overwhelming place now. It's one of the most depressed cities in the world. It's the year 2000, and this guy, his name is Eddie Rama, Is the mayor, how do you bring life into a city that's so depressed? It's filled with darkness, right? It's overwhelmed by crime, drug dealers, pickpockets, very little investment in this city. Even though there's freedom, it's stuck in this horrible story, this past. As I mentioned, pervasive crime. It's filthy and it's dangerous. And how could a city possibly emerge from that? The mayor, who you've just seen, did something really simple, so simple it sounds silly. Here's what he began to do he began to repaint the town, building after building. He took buildings that were gray and dark, you can see the building on the left, and he began to add coats of paint. And by the way, almost everywhere it's very bright paint, sometimes shockingly bright orange, like tangerine or tang, sometimes it's blue or purple or green, literally from one end of the city to the other. You get the idea. And by the way, at first, some people were absolutely horrified. They were angry about this. Why would this be happening? Many were perplexed, and some were delighted. But then something began to happen. The whole mood of the city began to change, Families were out with their children playing in, in parks again. People stopped dropping litter in the streets and they started paying their taxes. What? And business investment grew rapidly, like six fold over within the first year. And the streets became safer without out adding one additional police officer. And people who had wanted to leave the city were now finding reasons to stay. I'm not making all this up. This is the capital of the country of Albania. It's called Tirana, Albania. Now, when I read the story, I thought, that, that's amazing. Something that seems so simple that this could happen and change everything and, or begin to change the outlook of a city. And for me, it began to be a metaphor for the way we see our lives in our world, like when hope for the future comes as they experience, or joy comes into our world. There's this new energy, a, a sense of purpose, a completely new outlook. And and here's this joy that paints our world with all kinds of new possibility. And that's what I want to look at with you today. How the gospel does that. How this joy that I'm talking about becomes this sustaining source of of energy and power in the life of God's people. Would you pray together with me? Father, thank you for worship, for the beauty, for the creativity we could hear, and we were invited into, Lord, into your presence as we are worshiping you. And Father, we wonder what might happen if a glory, a beauty, a joy could spread through every corner of our lives and And also into our world. And so Lord, teach us this way. Lead us in this way through Jesus. For we pray in his name, amen. I find that me, maybe for you too, that seeing what I need, what we need, begins with admitting where we are. News flash, we're not happy. We're not a happy people. I mean, look at people's faces as you walk around the city. Now, I can give you statistics that one out of five adults is in treatment for depression. And right now we have a mental health care crisis because we don't have enough mental health care workers in the United States. But I think it goes a lot deeper than that. It's feeling that we're spending our lives on what doesn't matter. And and our lives are passing very quickly. We're wondering about the purpose of it all, and, and it, it's almost like a dank odor is, is filled in into our world, a malaise, a, a listlessness, or, or a lostness, a heaviness. We're busy, but we're bored. We're entertained, and at the same time, we're, we're exhausted. And I'm not saying that there isn't happiness on the surface. There are little outbreaks of that for sure, but it feels like there's this deep undertow of sadness or fear or something that feels like it's pulling us down now I'm preparing for this I was remembering a, a book I had to read when I was an undergraduate by Freud entitled civilization and its discontents and he's got a section in that book in which he just marvels at all the technology in our world right and it's amazing even since he died think of what we're able to do we we can drive cars that really are sort of driving themselves now we can speak to a person almost anywhere on the planet in real time because of the cell technology. We can travel in an aircraft across the widest of the Earth's oceans. We carry in our hand access to more information than can be found in the largest library in the world. And yet in all of this, and by the way, this struck Freud is so much that he said, you know what, if people from just a couple hundred years ago... Could see us now, they would call us gods. It's a godlike power. But then he said this in that volume he said, But present day man does not feel happy in his godlike character. He's like, We have all this stuff and all these abilities. I mean, it's unthinkable kinds of things and it's like it hasn't even registered on the Geiger counter of of our happiness and joy meter. And it's like our pursuit of happiness, the American experiment has not met with with success. And you say, well, why not? And by the way, this is the world we're giving our kids. Why do you think they dress in muted colors and, and often black? It's because this is the world we're handing off to them. And the question is, what are we missing? We're missing joy. We're missing a real joy made by God to to live in this joy that that we don't have. Over the years, I, I love to read. I read this amazing book called Exuberance. And in there, the writer talks about how these other species experience joy. And you know that elephants, if they're away from each other for even a few days or a few hours even... That when they greet each other, there's this giant greeting ceremony. They're running back and forth. They're flapping their ears. They're bumping into each other. And I thought, man, what would our lobby look like if when we showed up on Sunday morning, we haven't seen each other maybe in a week or two, and people are just crashing into each other. And we're greeting each other. You know, this is the, the, the joy that this species has. And I would like to have a piece of that, right? Imagine, I want this joy but an even deeper lasting joy. And what God's people are told all along the way, it's like this, you find it in the book of Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is God has given this to you for your strength. You're gonna need this. And so Jesus teaches us about this and leads us into this. And that's what I wanna look at with you today. What joy is, why we don't have it, but how we can this pathway to joy. Now, as I mentioned, we're in this giant block of teaching by Jesus. And it's sort of leading into, this is what how, how it looks to follow me. This is how you follow me in practical ways. And we've almost gotten to the end of that long teaching this summer, this basic training. And the disciples know that something is up. I mean, by now they're in Jerusalem. They've had the Passover with Jesus. And things are accelerating quickly toward the cross. And Jesus has prepared them. He said, look, I'm going to be arrested and mistreated, and I'm going to be killed. And then he would be leaving them. He says, Jesus went on to say, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Now this sounds absolutely perplexing to his disciples. How can they see him, and then, I mean, not see him, and then see him? What is he talking about? And they don't understand this, so they start talking among themselves. (laughs) What is Jesus talking about here? They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. And, of course, he's talking about his death. After which, after a little while, and by the way, they won't see him. They're going to miss him. And then after a little while, there's going to be his resurrection. They're going to see him again. And so Jesus is trying to prepare them for this roller coaster, or you might call it a seesaw of emotions they're going to go through in the next couple of days. And when I read that, it's like, oh man, I totally know this. Don't you? I mean, do you go through a day and you're like, oh man, I was so up over here and I was so down over there and then this happened. That's what I experienced. I mean, this past uh, June, I got the news that my grandbaby Gabe was born. You'll see a shameless picture of him. I'm going to show you. Here he is, Right. And so this is huge joy, and I'm walking around that day, and it's like, nothing can make me be unhappy, right? But then I was drawn into a difficult and painful pastoral moment with people that I love a lot. And that joy that I thought was indefeatable was now drained away. And my heart can hardly make the adjustment. I was like, that is, that is what we go through every day. And it's like, well, how, how is this stuff Jesus talking? What is it? And, and how is this going to be possible for me? How does this work in our lives? In the ancient world, joy was felt to be a momentary rush of extreme happiness. It was an emotional experience of, you, you might call it fullness or exuberance or being elated. Right, So like a groom feels this when he proposes to the woman he loves and she says yes, and bam, he feels such happiness and joy. Or we feel this at the birth of babies or a breakthrough cure to cancer, perhaps, right? We know this. And so sort of like that little balloon, you push air and air and air in it, and at some point it gets so full it pops. And that's the experience Of this joy. And by the way, you can find it around in our culture. Uh, Like one of the guys I really love, you'll see a picture of John Muir. If you've been to Muir Woods in California, you know about him. He grew up in a really negative, oppressive, religious home in Great Britain. But when he came to the United States, I mean, he discovered the woods. And he's like, this is the God of joy who made all of this stuff. And let me tell you, when the day that he was out in the west and he discovered the giant sequoia, he danced around. He couldn't believe how awesome this thing was. I'm in the woods, 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 and, and they're in me. This joy changed his life. But these moments were always passing. They never really remained. And so were ours. Like I remember dancing after I left the hospital across snow in the northeast when our daughter was born, going back to the car, right, after my daughter was born. But then I remember receiving the bill a few weeks later, (laughs) right, and you're like, this is what insurance doesn't cover, you know. I mean, it's a wonderful gift of joy, but God's gift, it lasts, it's sustained. It is a sustained gladness. And it happens because our lives have now been reframed. That word reframing is you take a picture, right? And because you put it in a new frame, it just doesn't look the same anymore. And this is what happens when from then on our lives and everything else forever look different. Like again, putting that picture in this new frame. Here's how it's described in the Old Testament. Those that the Lord has rescued will return they will enter Zion with singing, everlasting joy will crown their heads. I mean, you just hear this. Man, This is the crown of their heads. It's an everlasting joy. Like that child knows because she's loved and, and feels and is secure and not afraid. And you begin to realize, ah, oh, God made us for this. And if this is true, why don't we experience this joy? What's going on? Jesus explained it like this. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. You see, he's explaining that when he dies, they're going to be overcome with grief. And those that oppose him, they'll rejoice because he's dead now, right? This explains why we do not have joy in our lives. You see, Jesus, they saw him make sense of the world. And their lives. He was the missing key to the story of Israel. And also every one of their individual stories, they could see that. He told them that God loved them. He, he showed them that God had a purpose for them and for humanity. And he showed them there's a, there's a way forward. A way to peace with God and with each other. That we have a future. And that God has shown up. And Jesus put it like this. He said, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. And then the disciples saw him bringing this life. People had their sins forgiven. And the shame of their stories that were changed and reshaped by the love of God. And Jesus explained God's love. He he taught them and then he showed them it was all true by actually touching people and, and healing people and feeding the crowds. You see, joy was on the horizon. And the disciples longed for this. But then Jesus was arrested. He was beaten and killed in the worst sort of way. You know, there's a wonderful scene after, after already Jesus had been raised from the dead. It's in Luke 24. And two of his disciples, not some of the 12, but some of the 70, are heading back to a little village called Emmaus, and they are just downcast. The text says their faces are downcast. And Jesus appears, and he's walking with them, but they don't recognize him. And he asks them, well, what's happened? Why are you so downcast? And this is what they said. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, but they had seen him crucified and I think we cannot have joy because this is the world we're living in I call it a we had hoped world I don't know what you call it you know what world I'm talking about I'm not talking about the hopes of the Miami Heat winning the finals that would have been nice or even the USA women's soccer team staying in the World Cup I'm not talking I'm talking about deeper I'm thinking of someone you love who is sick and you pray and you pray and you hope and you hope but then that person does not live and you say we had hoped that he would beat the cancer we had hoped that he would live or you're all in to save a relationship. Maybe it's a marriage or, or a friendship, but then it's severed beyond repair, and you're like, man, we had, we had hoped that it would be saved. This is our world today where we feel our hopes are dashed. We live in this, we're in the shadow of it. And this is where the disciples were when Jesus died. They they thought it was coming, and their hopes were totally dashed. And I think this is what causes us to feel stuck and and powerless and and hopeless. And by the way, this is why our world, even itself, feels flat and gray. We're shocked by these losses because we are not made, we we are made for life. And we know it. And the world is not as it's supposed to be. By the way, if it were supposed to be like this, we would have come to terms with this a long time ago. We would have tamped down these longings for joy and fullness. Or we just wouldn't even have them at all. We do not know joy because we're disconnected from the one who can give us joy. Who's the source of our joy in a security and sense of purpose and a mattering, a, the fact that we matter, and actually we pursue so many things in our lives thinking, hey, that's it. If I have that, then I'll have the joy. Whatever that is for you. But isn't it amazing that it's just when you receive that, when you finally have it, that you're like, ah, that, that's not it. There's got to be something more. That's not it. Here's Jesus. He's, and by the way, we feel this because we hunger for this joy. Right? We long for something more, and we do that because there is something more. This is the cause of our joy. Here it is. Listen to Jesus. He says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child has been born, is born into the world. Now, Jesus uses this birthing analogy to teach his disciples about the way joy works. There's a time when the mother knows nothing but pain as she is delivering that baby. But when the baby is born, the joy comes, right? What she longed for has happened. Now, many of you guys know that this past um, spring, my wife and I, Sandy, walked the Camino de Santiago in Northern Spain, right? We didn't walk the whole thing, it's about 400 miles. We only walked about 40% of it, there the two of us are. And by the way, we were not in great shape like our good friends John and Olivia Hammer were in good shape okay we struggled through much of the walk and somewhere along the way as we were walking i looked at my wife sandy and i was like would you like to come back and walk like another section of the camino do you know what she said to me at that point um what friend are you going to have along with you because it isn't going to be me You see, we were in the middle of the journey. We were feeling the pain. We were struggling to get through those days. We were counting every kilometer. But let me tell you what happened. When we finished that walk, yeah, I think I could go. That would be great. Do you see what's happened? The pain we experienced hadn't been forgotten, but instead it served to boost our joy in the accomplishment. And this is also true for the mother giving birth. Her joy has grown because she's passed through the pain and she has the baby in her arms. This, this is how we have—we can have joy. You see, our joy in Jesus doesn't come from denying through what we're going through today. Denying the pain or acting like everything is okay. Hear me very well. Or that we do not suffer loss or know pain. It comes from knowing there's more. Knowing another day is coming. And in Jesus, it actually It has come. Here's Jesus. So with you now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. That's it. He says, when the time comes, your joy, nobody can take it away. This permanent joy. After the resurrection, the disciples never lost that joy despite the persecution, the difficulties, when their lives were threatened. And let me tell you why. Their lives had been completely reframed by the fact that Jesus was alive. Everything changed because of the resurrection. Do you know that if you're in Christ, that nothing can touch you now? Not in any lasting way. And again, I'm not saying you can't get hurt or suffer pain. But do you know that you can never be lost? Wow, and that redemption found in Jesus at his resurrection is what God has planned to bring to the whole of creation. And so our joy comes from resting in the love of God for us in Christ. Now that, by the way, the repainting of Tirana that I mentioned was just the beginning of restoration for the city. From death to a new vibrancy. By the way, in the early church, God so brought, brought two people from Albania who would never been to Granada before. And they looked up there like, that's my city. He's talking about our mayor, who's now their prime minister. And uh, an Albanian artist, Henri Sala, described the change spread. And by the way, here's a building he painted. I don't know if you can show that picture. There's a building that he painted. He, this is what he said. And I want us to hear what he said. In the beginning, it was the colors that were the change. And now you see the city changing around the colors. And you see, that's what begins to happen to you when the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done in his death and resurrection begins to recolor your world. You see yourself changing around the colors. Or I like the way one neighbor there in Tirana said, he said this, even a blind person can bear witness to the utter change of Tirana. Even a blind person can look and see that disciple who before was in grief is now in joy. And it's a sustaining joy. And I would love for the world to look at you because you're a disciple of Jesus and say, wow, even a blind person can see that this person has been changed by something. The power of grace. The joy they have. And you have that joy because of Jesus. I believe this explains what Jesus says next. On that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive. Your joy will be, don't you love that, complete. In other words, you'll be so connected to the reality of who Jesus is. What he has is yours. You go to him. It's easy. You pray in his name. Why wouldn't you? All the prayer and everything will be in the name of Jesus. Because what Jesus does for them in the cross and resurrection will completely recolor their world. I hope we can see what Jesus has done. How he's changed our lives with with his love. Do you know you're loved by God? That's not going to change. You have a place as daughters and sons of the living God. You, You have a secure future. And knowing this, our joy, that joy spreads into our lives as we come to appropriate this, right? We come to live it and know it. And again, this doesn't mean you won't have times of sadness and longing, but because of Jesus, even that is reframed. So you say, but pastor, I'm still living with this place where it's really hard, where I am on this seesaw of emotions. How am I gonna live with this? How will I live with this? One of my favorite uh, stories of the power of this resurrection joy um, comes from this guy. His name is Tony Campola. He taught at a couple of colleges and universities in Pennsylvania, and he attended an African-American church in Philadelphia. And every Good Friday, this church would sort of have like, almost seem like a preaching contest. They were in like a half a dozen or seven or eight preachers, and they would all preach one after another, It'd be a long service. And, and, and so he got to preach, and by the way, in the African-American church in this country, um, people, the people in the congregation actually help the preacher. I know that sounds weird, um, but preachers need help. And so if a preacher is struggling, they may shout out, help him, Jesus, help him, help him, right? If they like what he's saying, they shout out, keep it going, brother, let it roll, let it roll. And on this Good Friday service, seven pastors We're preaching back-to-back, and Tony preached, too. They invited him. He's not a pastor, but he preached, and he got like a couple of amen, amen, but not a whole lot. And then as he was sitting, waiting as the others were preaching, a guy leaned over to him and said, just sit back, because this old man, he's going to preach. And then for 30 minutes, this old guy preached just one little line, and this was the line. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Maybe you've heard it before, right? That may not sound like much, but he was talking about how on Friday, when Jesus died, everything looked dark. It looked gray. There was no hope. Hope died with Jesus. But then on Sunday, the resurrection took place. It was Friday, by the way, and Jesus was dead on a tree. It was Friday. He said, but Sunday's coming, the resurrection. It was Friday, and and Mary, she was crying her eyes out because her boy was dead. And the disciples were running everywhere like like scattered sheep without a, a shepherd because they were afraid. And then he got the congregation involved in the refrain. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, and all the cynics said, oh, there's nothing to that Jesus.